Well, you know, for the next uh, several weeks uh, in December, I'd like to interrupt the series we've been working on to bring a special series on, um, from the book of Isaiah. Uh, we'll look at Isaiah 7, 8, 9. Pray for our mechanics. This is not a good time for us to have technical difficulties. Yes. So we'll be looking at uh, a few chapters in Isaiah leading up to our Christmas presentations. You know, um, historically in the time of Isaiah, uh, Roughly um, 800 years before the birth of Christ, 800 B.C., but in the 730 range uh, on, um, it was a time when, of course, Israel uh, was increasingly becoming unfaithful to God, as they had throughout their history. And once again, uh, in the setting of, of that time, we, have, we had 12 tribes of Israel, as you know, and by that time, the tribes had become um, fractured, and 10 northern tribes under successive wicked kings were moving further and further away from God. And um, the two remaining tribes, the tribes of Judah, were hanging on by a thread, but their line of kings were far more faithful. But in the lessons that we're going to look at at the time of Isaiah, um, the, by that time, the ten northern tribes of Israel were actually, had actually become enemies of their own people, the two southern tribes, which was, of course, breaking God's heart. Uh, the wickedness of the kings of Israel is written in the books of kings. You can read through those. And, and um, in fact, when we looked at Elijah and King Ahab, we saw some of that going on. But for the most part, the kings of Judah had remained faithful to God or re relatively faithful until the time of King Ahaz that we're going to look at today. Uh, his father before him had be, began to uh, compromise and move away from God, but by the time Ahaz became king, he had almost fully abandoned the Lord. You can read about him in 2 Kings chapter 16, which is sort of a companion scriptural section historically to the book of Isaiah or the section in Isaiah that we're looking at today, Isaiah 7. Uh, king Ahaz... Uh, became king of Judah when he was 20 years of age and reigned until he was about 36 years of age. And during that time, he did increasingly evil things. Uh, the king of, we're going we're to find the setting that we, we, we uh, approach this morning. We're going to find out historically that the king of Israel 
had uh, allied with the king of Aram, or which is the king of Syria, to come against the king of Judah. And rather than, which was King Ahaz, and rather than him uh, um, look to the Lord and trust in the Lord with all of his heart, he made an alliance with the king of Assyria to help him out. And so God comes through the prophet Isaiah and is giving his basically last plea to Ahaz to return to faithfulness. And in these next three chapters of Isaiah 7, Isaiah 8, and Isaiah 9, each time there's the mention of a child. So you have this historic picture of all of these powerful, fierce armies arrayed against each other and drawing battle lines and ready to come into conflict with each other. And God speaks to this setting with the promise of a child. And the picture here is that God is so powerful that he is going to reconcile the situation. He's going to redeem the world with, through the, 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 the weakest situation of humankind, which is a baby. So powerful is God. All the armies are right against him. He can take care of it with a child. And so we have the promise, uh, the, the Christmas promise in this section of the coming of Messiah. And Isaiah, of course, prophesies that throughout the book of Isaiah, the coming of the Messiah. And so uh, the picture here for us is all the power of the world against God can be taken care of from God's perspective through a little child if he wants to because he's so powerful. And so in the first promise of Messiah, Messiah will come as a child. When Christ comes the second time, he will come as warrior, conqueror. And so uh, we have this picture to strengthen us and encourage us. So if you have your Bibles with you, and I'm sure you do, I want to uh, look at Isaiah 7 this morning and then make some commentary on it. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Isaiah, was king of Judah, the two southern tribes, King Rezin of Aram, or Syria, and Pekah, son of Remeliah, king of Israel, the ten northern tribes, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, you've seen here that Israel is actually fighting against Jerusalem, and the explanation is because the ten tribes have abandoned God. Now, the house of David was told, in other words, Judah, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim, the ten northern tribes. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out, you and your son Shear Jessup, to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Washerman's field. Say to him, Be careful, keep calm. And don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood, because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and of the son of Remelio. Aram, Ephraim, and Remelio's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Yet, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. 
it will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. The head of Samaria is only Remelio's son. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. This is the central theme of this text this morning. I've got that underlined in my Bible. Key, key verse. And again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of men? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will eat curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. But before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste, which would be approximately 12 or 13 years. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. In that day, the Lord will whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. And they will all come and settle in the steep ravines and in the crevices in the rocks and on the thorn bushes and at the water holes. In that day, the Lord will use a razor hired from a beyond the river, the king of Assyria, to shave your head and the hair of your legs and to take off your beards also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two goats. And because of the abundance of the milk they give, he will have curds to eat. And all who remain in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, in other words, because so many people will be taken out of the land, there'll be so much plenty left for the few that are left there. But in a, in a, in a brief time, it will turn. In that day, in every place where there are a thousand vines worth of a, a thousand silver shekels, there will be only briars and thorns. Men will go there with bow and arrow, for the land will be covered with briars and thorns. As for all the hills once cultivated for the hoe, you will no longer go there, cultivated by the hoe, you will no longer go there for fear of the briars and thorns, three times mentioned. They will become places where cattle are turned loose and where sheep run. The land of milk and honey is going to be turned into briars and thorns. This is the word of God. Father, as we pray this morning, we just ask that we might be willing to do an audit of our own hearts. Because there's every possibility, Lord, that uh, we are like Ahaz, beginning to lose our confidence and trust in you and relying on other things. In the times of distress or discomfort or fear or pain or suffering. Father, I pray this morning that we might not lose our hold on our great God who has taken hold of us. I pray, Father, that we would not fail to recognize your great power and that we would recognize that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Whom shall we fear? 
Lord, would you please help us not to depend on other things, but to trust wholly on you, I pray, for Jesus' sake, amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you living by faith or believing in God? Now, you might be thinking, that, that's a really odd question. Isn't it the same thing, believing in God and living by faith? What do you think? Nobody wants to answer. A few people are shaking their head. No, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. Satan and the demons believe in God, but they are not living by faith in God. The great danger in life is that we can somehow mix up the two and miss what we are really called to do. And the key verse here is, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand firm at all. You might just be a person of religion and not really a person of faith. You may be you may at this point be settle, uh, or settling for believing in God, but not trusting in Him fully. And it will show. It will show up particularly in times of crisis, like the time of King Ahaz. And the living God, by the way, will go to gracious extent to call you back to himself, to get you to trade your fears and your religious safety blanket in for faith in him, trust in him. And the extent that he'll go to is so extreme that, in fact, in, in King Ahaz's day, God previewed Christmas Day in verse 14. The time was 735 B.C., 135 years before the time of Daniel that we spoke of last week. By the time of Daniel, this group of people had gone into exile in waves. The northern tribe was going to be sacked within 13 years. By 722 B.C., the Assyrians would completely dominate the northern faithless tribe of Israel. Just before this prophecy, as God had prophesied. And the southern tribe, the, the last remaining remnant of faithfulness, was about to turn its face on God. King Ahaz, who was supposed to be the leader of, of, of faith-filled leadership, was turning his attention toward Assyria rather than God. And so we have this crisis time where God issues this statement to Ahaz, and he issues it to you this morning. I don't know where you're at. I'm not sure where your heart is at, but, but perhaps you're up against some really tough situations, and you're tempted to lose your trust in God, and you're tempted to turn to other things and rely on other things. And God wants to say to you this morning, if you, if you do not stand in your faith, you will not stand at all. God wants you to trade your fear for faith, and here's how. I, I want to, to show you from this text this morning how you can regain, if you're wavering, regain your stand firm posture in the Lord. So look with me here. I notice, first of all, that 
He addresses King Ahaz this way in verse 2. Now the house of David. That's really important. Uh, to identify them as the house of David. You need to know that, that you are part of a long line of forever. When, when you are up against it, when there are things that are causing you to be afraid, fearful, when there are threats being made on your life, threats being made on your job situation or whatever it might be, or on your health, Please do not lose sight of who you are and therefore whose you are. You are of the house of David, a, a, a line that was promised a forever kingdom. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13. And by virtue of our connection to Christ, who is the Son of God, Son of David, we are brothers and sisters of Christ, Therefore, we are of the house of David, a forever kingdom that has been promised by the living God. So don't ever lose sight of the fact that, that you are part of a, a forever line, a long line of forever. You are God's treasured possession. I love what um, Abigail said to King David when her husband Nabal was... Uh, rejecting him and treating him with, with disdain. In 1 Samuel 25, she says, David, you are wrapped in the bundle of the living. Now, that, may not, that phrase may not mean so much to us uh, here these thousand years later, several thousand years later, but it means, meant something very, very amazing then. You see, the shepherd would have a shepherd's pouch, and shepherds didn't have very much, but was, what was in their shepherd's pouch was their treasured possession, what was critical and key to them. And, and the beautiful metaphor of our God is our God is our shepherd, the great shepherd. And Abigail said, King David, David, you, you are wrapped in the bundle of the living. You are a treasured possession taken care of and, and protected in the the pouch of the great shepherd. And so are we. That, that refers to us. And, and so God goes on to say to Ahaz, these threats that are coming up against you, which by the way in verse 2 it says his heart, the hearts of Ahaz and the hearts of the people were shaken like trees in the forest, shaken when the wind blows against them. They were just shaking at the, at the armies that were arrayed against them. And God says um, to him in verse 4, say to him, Isaiah, go tell King Ahaz, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, don't lose heart, because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I love this. God is looking down at these two powerful armies, the army of Syria arrayed against these two small tribes of Judah, and the powerful ten tribes of Israel arrayed against them. And he gives a campfire analogy. If any of you have been camping and you've lit a bonfire, and the bonfire is, is finished, and at the end of it, there's these, the, the, the logs are basically burnt out, and there's always kind of a cup, bit of residue laying off to the side, a couple of smoldering ends of logs. God speaks forth and he says, look at the army of Syria and look at the army of Israel. All they are to me is two smoldering log ends 
There's no fire to their threats, Ahaz. No fire to their threats. And then he says to them, they may be threatening you. Aram and Ephraim, verse 5, or Melio's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tabeel king over it. And then there's this classic word, yet. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. There's all kinds of noise out there, all kinds of people chirping at us, all kinds of threats, all kinds of political threats in our world today. But what matters is what God says, doesn't it? Can I get, a, can I get some reaction to that? Is, isn't that what matters? Does it matter what everybody else says? All the threats that are coming upon you? Doesn't it matter what God says? Because what God says is it ain't going to happen. That's what he says. It's not going to take place. They can chirp all they like. They can bring their armies up and surround you with their armies. And they can make a big show of their spears and their swords and their powerful guys. But I say, it's not going to happen. It's not going to take place. In fact, within 65 years, you won't even hear of Ephraim again. They will be assimilated into the nations never to be heard from again. You've heard of the lost tribes of Israel? They're still lost. Because God said, they're gone. They're done. It's the word of the Lord that stands. And so he tries to encourage Ahaz and strengthen him. He says, Ephraim will be shattered. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. And then he starts to say, he says, um, for the head of Aram is Damascus. This, from my perspective, God says, the... The big deal here is the city of Damascus, please. You're talking to the God of heaven. Damascus? And the leader of Damascus is a guy by the name of Rezin? And, and this is how God is saying it. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to enunciate it the way God would be saying it. He's like, Rezin? Who's Rezin? Isn't that what exudes out of a tree? He's of no consequence to me. And then he says, and, and this Ephraim now, the head of Ephraim is Samaria. And who's the head of Samaria? And God is even unwilling to mention his name. He doesn't say Pekka. He says, who's this Ramaliel's son? He's the son of a nobody. I don't even know his name. I don't even pay attention to his name. He, he's of, he's no, of no consequence to me. So Ahaz, keep calm. Keep watchful. Don't be afraid. Don't lose heart. You have the God of glory on your side. By this time, of course, Ahaz has hired the Assyrian army to be his bodyguard. And God is saying, don't hire contract mercenaries from a finite kingdom when you are already a child of the king of kings. 
I mean, we need to see life from God's perspective. We so easily look around ourselves for something that can help us and take care of us, something physical, something we need to hold on to. God is saying, are you going to hire a mercenary king from a finite kingdom to take care of you when you are a child of the king of kings? You're of the house of David? A a kingdom that I have promised forever? What are you thinking? And by the way, um, Ahaz raided the treasury of the Lord, 2 Kings 16, to pay the Assyrians to protect him. Now, now please, let, please sink, let that sink in for a few moments. Ahaz took the, the treasures and money that belonged to the worship of God to pay a finite, weak kingdom to look after him. Now, as we shake our heads and say, how could anybody do that? I wonder how many times we have taken what rightfully belongs to God and used it to prop up our weak faith and and finance security in our lives instead of trusting in God. Brothers and sisters, secondly, You have to cross the line from religious, fair-weather faith to being faith-filled. Our religious habits, patterns, whether coming to church, bringing our Bible, whatever, these things can convince us that we are people of faith when, in fact, maybe we're just people of religion. Ahaz went to Damascus after he paid for the help from Assyria. And Assyria did take care of him, oh, temporarily. They took care of Israel. They took care of Syria. They took captive Damascus. And Ahaz, King Ahaz, went to Damascus to view the religious system of the Assyrians. And he liked it so much, he brought architectural drawings back to Jerusalem and insisted that the priest of God reconfigure the temple of God to look like the Damascus worship system. You think dabbling in a little compromise doesn't affect your whole life? It absolutely does. It changes everything. How can I know the difference whether I'm just a a person of religion or a person of faith? Because Ahaz was a person of religion. He gathered around himself all kinds of religion. He decided to have the religion of Israel and have the religion of the Assyrians. He'd get as much religion as he could. But he had no faith. There's plenty of religion to go around. But is there faith? Because if you don't stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all, is God's statement to us. Religion is believing that God is. The world is full of people with religion. They believe in God, or they believe in gods, or they believe they're they're religious people. Satan believes in God. Demons believe in God. Religion is believing that God is. But faith is acting as if God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews 11, verse 6. 
Without faith, it's impossible to believe God. You have to believe two things, that God is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, those who actually act upon what they believe. Faith is believing that if I do what God says, God can and will do what he promises. Faith is believing that if I do what God says, God can and will do what he promises. And so God says to Ahaz, ask me for a sign. I, I realize that your faith is feeble, your faith is wilting, it's weak. Otherwise, you wouldn't be contracting the Assyrians to look after you. So go ahead. Go ahead, Ahaz. Ask me for a sign. He says, in fact, ask me for something that's beyond your wildest imagination, that's as high as the heavens or as low as hell. You go ahead and ask me. Ask me for a sign so that you'll, your faith will be encouraged and you'll be propped up in, in your belief. And so Ahaz turns to the living God and says, I will not, because I will not test my God. Oh, boy. Ahaz decides to give God a theology lesson. We, always, we, we, we know for sure our hearts are in trouble when we decide to give God a theology lesson. God didn't ask him to test God. He said, ask me for a sign Ahaz completely turned it around. The, the, the point of the sign was to prop up his faith. It was Ahaz's faith that was on trial, not God's ability to deliver. It was God who sent the king of Israel. It was God who sent the king of Syria against Jerusalem. You can look it up and read it in 2 Kings chapter 16. Now, why would God do such a thing? Why would God send hardships into our lives? To test our faith, to strengthen us. When he sees that our faith is becoming weak and wilted and we're in danger of walking away from him and trusting in other things, created things, God will send a wake-up call into your life, a wake-up call that you will either stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. You will either turn and fully trust in the living God or you will fully trust in the things around you. And so this is a watershed moment for Ahaz. Many of you have faced those moments. We will face many more likely. God loves us so much that signs are God's gracious way of breathing life into our wilted faith. The way we treat a sign, by the way, doesn't create faith in us that isn't there. It just confirms what is. So he tells him to dream up this sign, and he won't. So God says, I'll give you a sign myself then. Of course, Isaiah says to him, you know, it's one thing to try the patience Ahaz of men, but you're, you're trying the patience of God? Ahaz's personal faith is on trial, and he failed miserably. Keep in mind that there is forbidden, it is forbidden to test the Lord. 
Numbers 14.22, Deuteronomy 6.16. So Ahaz knew enough of his Bible to be dangerous. It's just that God didn't ask him to test him. When God invites you to test the Lord, he'll say it specifically, like he does in Malachi 3. In Malachi 3, verse 10, it's a section there, of course, in offerings, tithes. The people have been robbing God. They've been keeping money for themselves that should have gone to, to the Lord. They've been contracting their money out to buy other props in their lives that should have rightfully gone to God. And it's in that text that the Lord says, go ahead and test me. Test me. I'm inviting you to, on this one occasion, I'm inviting you to test me. Give me your tithes. Give me the 10% that you're supposed to give, give me and see if I can't bless you. See if I can't open up the windows of heaven and completely bless you. This was an offering to him of grace in the act of faith. You see, um, it's one thing to say that we believe in God, and it's another thing to really trust him. And, and perhaps one of the strongest ways that God gets our attention is with our money. It really is. It's one that we understand the most, it would seem. So in Malachi, God says, go ahead. Trust me to look after you on 90% of what I bring to you. Give me the other 10%. Based on the giving statistics, national average giving statistics of the people who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we may be people of religion, but we're not really people of faith. The national average is between 2 and 3% of our givings, of our income. We tip waitresses better than that. You know, we say, oh, of course, of course I trust God. Sure, I trust him. Now, I believe he could look after me on 90% of what I have. Sure, sure he could. That's all just talk. Faith is actually acting upon what God has said. God says, go ahead and test me on this. No, no, I, I don't need to test you, Lord. I believe you could take care of me. No, no, you don't believe that I could take care of you because if you believed that I could take care of you, you would actually trust me in this. So I think we have a whole lot of people who are religious, but we don't have a lot of people who are faithful. This sign, of course, that is given, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. What an amazing sign. What an amazing offer that was given to, to Ahaz. This sign is, is that we may, might never forget who is with us. Ahaz, you need to be reawakened to what you have. You, you look at the army of Israel. You look at the army of Syria, and you're relying on the, the army of Assyria when the living God is with you. Ahaz had made a decision to believe that Assyria can, but that God is. I want to break that down for you into your life. Do you remember we said that, that believing that God is is no big deal? 
That doesn't prove you're a faithful person. And, and here, in this case, Ahaz was actually believing that Assyria could reward the one who diligently sought them. He believed that God is, but he was putting his trust in Assyria. And so God makes a declaration here in two directions. He says, um, Emmanuel will be born, God with us. Now, the interesting thing is here that um, the word that's used here, Alma, um, provides a near fulfillment. In other words, when we look at this, we see this and we say, well, that was fulfilled at Chris on Christmas Day. No, it was fulfilled in the time of Ahaz. You're saying, what are you saying? The Messiah was born in time? No, no, no. The Messiah wasn't born in the time of Ahaz. This was a legitimate sign given. There was a child born in the time of Ahaz called Emmanuel. He was born to a woman of marriageable age, the word Alma. 600 years later, the first major translation from the Hebrew into Greek, the Septuagint, the scholars in that day, under the um, inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took the word Alma and they translated it Parthenos. Parthenos means virgin. Now, a young woman of marriageable age also means virgin in the days of Isaiah, days of Isaiah because it was expected that a woman would be a virgin when she was giving birth to her first child or when she was conceiving her first child, more accurately. <laughs> but by the time the Septuagint was translated, and therefore Matthew takes the Septuagint translation and said, aha, this is what God meant. This is the far fulfillment. This is Messiah, born to a virgin. Never, ever did that happen before. But this prophecy is promised fulfillment in two directions. Ahaz, I'm making you a statement today. You can either have Emmanuel or you can have Assyria but you can't have both. If you choose Emmanuel, God with you, I will deliver you and I will take care of you and I will continue to move you into the land of milk and honey. But if you choose Assyria, you are going to live among thorns and briars and exile. Beloved, when pressure comes on your lives, never ever forget who is with you. Emmanuel, God with you. Where does your help come from? Your help comes from God, the maker of heaven and earth. Lift up your eyes and look to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. You can have Emmanuel or you can have the other things in which you trust, but you cannot have both. And it is fatal, fatal, fatal to view God as inadequate 
to help you in whatever trouble you're in. Because he will give you a full dose of that in which you trust. If you trust fully in the Lord, he will give himself fully to you. If you trust in Assyria or other things, he will give you those other things and they will not help you. They will be your ruin. God is saying here, I'm really, really with you. That's why he gives this name out, Emmanuel. I'm really, really with you. This is not a metaphor. This is not a, a myth. This is not a, an idea. This is not a, a drawing, a picture. This is real. God is really, really with you. And on Christmas Day, when God came to earth to dwell among us, God is really, really among us. And when we came to know Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, and he moved into our hearts, and we became in Christ, God really, really, really is with us. Whatever you're up against is no comparison in power to the greatness of God, no matter what. If you prefer the king of Assyria, you shall have the king of Assyria. And that's what Ahaz chose. Can I bring this to a practical conclusion for us this morning? This is not an ancient story 2,800 years old. This is a story as contemporary as the moment we're gathered together in. We continue to say we believe in God, but we trust in everything else. And we think we're people of faith because we believe in God. We are not people of faith because we believe in God. We are not people of faith because we believe in Jesus Christ. We are people of faith because we trust in Christ for our salvation. Not just our eternal salvation, but our salvation every day of our lives. If we do not stand firm in our faith, we will not stand firm at all. And so when pressure comes your way, when threats come your way, when job threats come your way, when health threats come your way, when the armies of evil are encompassed around you, to whom will you turn? To your money? To pornography? To addictive things? to pleasure, to busyness. You know, I want to speak to all of us who love the Lord. We'll say, no, no, not money. Not sex and pornography, no. Not pleasures, no. Not addictive things, no. You know, one of the Major choices we choose as Christians when we feel threatened or under pressure, we choose activity, busyness. Oh, I'm working so hard for the Lord. Instead of trusting in the Lord. That's why we have so many people dropping out, burning out, falling down, struggling 
we've trusted in ourselves. I just have to work harder. I just have to try more. I just have to do a better job. I just have to say the right things. Instead of becoming more and more dependent on God, we become more and more dependent on ourselves. And it is exhausting, as Rabbi Zacharias puts it, carrying the eternal. Exhausting. Unless you are becoming like Christ and relying on the indwelling power and presence of the Spirit, you will not stand Unless you stand firm in your faith in God, not in you, you will not stand at all. And if we medicate ourselves on other things, God will do one of two things. One, he will bring a crisis into your life as he did to Ahaz to face the facts. Or two, if you're unwilling to face the facts, he will give you over fully to what you are trusting in, and you will collapse. Don't confuse the present look of your situation with the possibilities that God can do great and amazing things if you trust him. When Isaiah was invited to be the preacher and voice of God of his time, and he stepped forward and said, count me in. And God said, you'll preach and you'll proclaim, but nobody's going to listen to you. Now, basically, I would have wanted to quit that day. Maybe Isaiah didn't believe it. Oh, no, God, they'll, they'll believe it. So, so he said to him, how long, Lord? Oh, how long will they not listen to me? A week or two, a, a month or so? No, Isaiah, until the cities lie ruined and without habit, inhabitant, until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken, and though a tenth remains in the land, it will again be laid waste. But as the tabernacle and oak leaves stumps when you're, they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Isaiah, they're not going to listen to you. You can warn them. You can warn Ahaz. They're not going to listen to you. But don't despair. Keep calm. Keep watchful. Don't lose heart. Don't be afraid. There is a holy seed. And the name of your son is Sheer Jeshub, remnant. And a virgin will conceive and give birth to a child called Emmanuel, God with us. Isaiah, I'm not going to fix your situation today or even Saturday night. But my promises will come good to those who trust in me with all of their hearts for all of their lives. I will come through. Beloved, there are so many things 
to prop up your painful, hurting life that cannot help you. But this one thing I know, if you do not stand firm in your faith in God, you will not stand firm at all. You cannot have money, pornography, pleasures, addictive things yourself and have God too. This day, choose in whom you will have faith or you will not stand at all. Our Father, we thank you for your, your word of warning today your word of promise, your word that is so rich to us. That generation turned their back on you for the most part, but there was always a faithful remnant, oh God, who stood firm in their faith in you. And Emmanuel came, God with us. God is really with us. And to those who remain faithful, God is faithful. And to those with wilting faith, God is gracious and reaches out and offers us a sign. A virgin will give birth to a child. He'll be called Emmanuel, and he will be great. His name will be great, and he will save his people. That Jesus will give us the sign of his resurrection, though death threatens us and pain and suffering pounds us. Though we die, yet we will live because Christ has conquered the grave. So don't lose hope. Keep calm. Keep watchful. Don't be afraid. God is with us. God, I just pray this morning for the hearts of your people. The battle is on for the hearts of your people. Oh, God, would you wrestle them into the bundle of the living. For your great name's sake, I pray. Amen.